This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Good morning. For those of you that are not aware, this is the first time that I will be preaching here at Cedar Springs Church. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't just a little bit nervous. As luck would have it, we've received recently a letter from uh, another preacher, and so I'll be working mainly off of that. Uh, You guys, uh, he really loves our church. He really wants to visit soon. Most of you haven't really met him, uh, but he has a very, very important message for us, uh, and, and that's what he is claiming. Now, if you're anything like me, you'd be a little suspicious. Really? Mystery preacher? Why does he care about us? What's his background? Is he qualified? Why Cedar Springs? This doesn't sound right. Where's Grant? (laughs) But if all of these questions were answered... To your satisfaction, if all of your suspicions were relieved, the next question would be, well then, what's the very important message? Now that's not completely accurate. I do have a letter for us this morning, but it was originally written to the Church of Rome. And I bet there are some members of that congregation that had some of those same thoughts going through their mind when they received this letter from a guy that they had never met in person, claiming to love them very much, wanting to visit but not able to yet, and having a very important message for them. So this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. Go ahead and start flipping there this morning. For some background on the book of Romans... Paul most likely wrote this letter while he was in Corinth. You can refer to chapter 18 of the book of Acts for more information about that part of Paul's journey. Some early manuscripts where we get the book of Romans, uh, some contained a subscript that said written from Corinth. But that's most likely the time frame where it was written. At the time of writing the letter, Paul had never been to the church of Rome. In chapters 1 and 15 of Romans, Paul mentions how he longs to visit the church in Rome. He mentions uh, that he has planned to visit for a long time, to fellowship with them, but he's been delayed by other obligations uh, that he must address before the trip out west. Paul planned to use Rome as his home base to eventually go out to Spain If we read in Acts 27 and 28, we know that Paul ended up actually making it to Rome. Probably not the way he had planned. He was a prisoner with no legitimate charges against him. He survived a shipwreck, finally makes it to Rome, but as a prisoner, and he goes to prison at his own expense for two whole years. He's not even allowed in the synagogues, but people still come to hear him talk. With that as background... Let's look at chapter 1 of Romans. 
verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul introduces himself with his longest introduction of all of his epistles. And this makes sense. He's never been there before. This introduction is to validate the authority with which he speaks. Who is this Paul? He's got a very important message for us. He's a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is Paul's validation. He's a fellow servant of Christ Jesus, so if his message doesn't align with Christ's, you know you're in trouble. He's called to be an apostle. That gives him the authority to preach the message that he has been given by God. And he is set apart specifically to preach the gospel. Well, what is Paul's gospel? Verses 2 through 6 explain. The gospel was promised beforehand through God's prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is not a new message. The gospel concerns God's Son, according to the flesh, descended from David, and according to the spirit of holiness, declared or confirmed to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection. And just in case you're still not sure who he's talking about, he says it emphatically, it's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here in verses 5 and 6, we get a description of the gospel. Through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. To do what? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That phrase, to bring about the obedience of faith, that's an important phrase. One of the tools that we learn through the Simeon Trust classes is called bookends. So if you're reading a passage of scripture and the beginning of the passage has a phrase and the end of the passage has a phrase, that's important. We see this phrase to bring about the obedience of faith in verse 5. Keep your thumb there in chapter 1, but flip to the end of Romans, chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed 
and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. There it is again. Bring about the obedience of faith. And with bookends, that phrase reveals the emphasis of the passage. So as we read Romans, it should be through that lens, bringing about the obedience of faith. If you'd like to learn other tools on how we interpret Scripture, go to Simeon Trust, Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. So backing up a little bit and getting our momentum back in verse 5, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. For what purpose? For what sake? For whose sake? For the sake of his name, Christ's name, among all the nations. The bringing about the obedience of faith in the church glorifies and elevates Christ's name. These nations include Paul's audience in Rome and includes us here. And 6 and 7, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. It is clear from these verses that the church at Rome needed some help. They needed some help to bring about the obedience of faith. For some of them, they needed more wisdom and more knowledge to inform their faith, to make sure that their faith was pointed in the right direction. How can you obey a faith that is not well-defined? For others, though, they may have a well-defined faith, but they need help to remain in obedience to that faith. A couple of illustrations to explain. Kids. There's some kids in here. Do you love your parents? All I see are very enthusiastic nods. <laughs> How do we know? How do we know you love your parents? That's by what you do. Now the kids in Rome, they were the kind of kids who would say they loved their parents and then sometimes even that very same day, they would disobey they would throw tantrums. They would hit their sister. Not like you guys, right? You guys don't struggle with that. Another illustration. This is why at weddings, couples express their vows uh, to each other in front of families and friends. In the church in Rome, you know, they were you know, very enthusiastic about saying their vows, but... As time went on, some of them found it difficult to obey those vows consistently and lovingly. Aren't you glad this letter wasn't written to Cedar Springs Church? I mean, Paul would have been just wasting his time. We don't struggle with any of these things. We don't struggle with loving and obeying our parents. We don't struggle with keeping our marital vows to the letter and loving it. We don't struggle here to understanding and obeying our faith. Do we? Of course we struggle with this. Of course we're included among those who are loved by God and called to be saints. 
the audience of this letter. Of course we need to hear this as well. The question then becomes, okay, all right, how do we do it? How do we bring about this obedience of faith? How is the obedience of faith brought about for all the nations? But Paul has already given us the answer. The gospel. The gospel is how the obedience of faith is brought about for all nations. The gospel is how the obedience of faith is brought about for all the nations. If we continue, verses 8 through 15, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well, among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul begins this section following a similar pattern that he has in 1 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, Philemon. Being thankful to God for the church and always praying for them. Paul seems to pray a lot. But Paul quickly points out, specifically, longing to be able to visit soon, which is different from the other letters because he hasn't yet fellowshiped with the church in Rome. Verses 13 and 14 explain the delay. I want you to know, brothers, I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and foolish. This darn Gentiles getting in the way again. But don't move too quickly past the reason Paul wants to visit. It is in order to reap some harvest among them. I think it's clear Paul's not saying he wants to visit the Roman version of the Schwabach farm and harvest some delicious corn. Paul's referring to a spiritual harvest. But most of the time, us Christians refer to a spiritual harvest as bringing others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is true. That is a harvest. But the letter to Rome is addressed to those that are loved by God and called to be saints. Therefore, the audience already includes those that are saved. So what is this spiritual harvest that Paul is referring to? It's an increased maturity and obedience. It's an increased maturity and obedience. 
Is that something that we would want here at Cedar Springs? Now, if you just internally rolled your eyes because you know we're in church, I know the right answer. Of course, yes. You haven't thought about it enough. Take a moment and think about what our church would be like. Say, while they were doing the construction over there, Grant came across a dial in the church. He's like, oh, what's this? And on it, it says, your church body's obedience and maturity. And it was this little dial this whole time. And he reaches to the dial and turns it a few clicks to the right. How would our church change? How would our relationships with each other change? How would our marriages and families change? How would our outreach change? How would our hearts change? How fast would you sign up for that? That is the kind of harvest that Paul is talking about here in verse 13. Now, unfortunately, Grant has not found that dial, right? <laughs> and that's not how it works anyways. How does it work? How does Paul plan to bring about a harvest for the church in Rome as well as among the rest of the Gentiles? Verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. How is he going to reap this harvest among the Gentiles and also those that are in Rome? The gospel. The gospel is how we reap a harvest. The gospel is how to reap a harvest. Well, then what is this gospel? Verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now Paul already spelled out the gospel in verses 2 through 6. He states the gospel here again in verses 16 and 17. In fact, he will restate the gospel multiple times throughout the book of Romans. Chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Chapter 5 again, 6 through 11. Romans 6, 23. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Chapter 8, 18 through 25. Chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, among others. The gospel is important. Here in verses 16 and 17, we see first that Paul has no shame in the gospel. Why? It's not up to him. It's the power of God. Anything going up against the power of God fails. The power of God accomplishes all that it sets out to do. So there's no shame in it. God's going to do what he's going to do. 
What is this power for? For the salvation to everyone who believes. Not only that, but in this gospel, verse 17 says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Now that phrase, from faith for faith, might trip us up a little bit. Matthew Henry describes the phrase, from faith for faith, like this. From faith, the first faith, the faith by which we are put into a justified state, to faith, the faith by which we live and are continued in that state. Both the beginning and the progress of the Christian life. It's not from faith to works, as if faith put us in a justified state and then works preserved and maintained us, but it's faith all along, from faith for faith. The gospel is how people are saved, verse 16, and the gospel is how people are sustained, verse 17. The gospel is how people are saved and sustained. Paul will take the rest of the book of Romans to expound on this gospel. We're being saved. First thing we need to talk about is what we are being saved from. Immediately, verse 18 says the answer, the wrath of God on the unrighteous. Well, what if, what if I'm not that bad? The rest of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and most of chapter 3, no one is righteous. No, not one. By the works of the law, no human will be justified. It's way worse than you think, you dirty little sinner. Summary. The end of chapter 3, we get the gospel again. Through Christ's work on the cross is how the wrath of God is satisfied. Is this a new idea of faith? No. Chapter 4. It's been that way since Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We have access to that same faith. Through that faith, we have peace with God. It's chapter 5. Okay, if Christ paid for all my sin, why would I stop sinning? No. From faith, for faith. We are now to live by faith. Chapter 6 and 7. Chapter 8 contains all the great promises that are ours through faith in Christ. No more condemnation, adoption as sons, redemption of our bodies, hope. All things work together for good. If God is for us, who is against us? Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, how can we count on these promises? Chapters 9 through 11, God's sovereignty from the past through the present to the future. God controls it all. What do we do with all this? How do we live? What does it look like to be brought into obedience to this faith? Chapters 12 through 16. It's how to live. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. And this is your spiritual act of worship. The book of Romans is the gospel. We can break the gospel down into uh, short summaries that Paul does throughout Romans, but it unpacks 
the gospel. This is how we do anything as a Christian. This is how we're saved. This is how we live. The righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is everything. The gospel is everything. It is how we are brought near to God. It's how we stay close to God. It's how we're changed by God. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, the one who was promised beforehand through the prophets, the promised descendant of David, the one declared to be the Son of God in power through his resurrection, the one through whom salvation from the wrath of God is offered, I urge you to believe. The gospel is how we are saved. A funny thing happened while I was preparing for this sermon. Not funny, haha, but funny as in circumstances so odd that it doesn't seem to be a coincidence. While I was preparing to preach that not only does the gospel save, the gospel sustains us, I started noticing some things in my own life. I started noticing that I had less patience with my kids. Quiet, I need to tell people how to live for Christ. It's funnier now. Nikki and I were having more miscommunications than normal. My family started getting sick, like a lot, like three out of the last four weekends. I found myself more selfish and less thankful than I've been in a long time. Doubts started creeping in. Do I really believe what I'm about to say? Do I really believe that the gospel will sustain me? My mind is quick. Of course I do. I know the answer. But I've found it recently to be more and more difficult to obey that belief. Last week I met up with Grant to discuss how the sermon was going. I mentioned to him all the things that were going on and the irony that you know, all these things are happening while I'm trying to tell people how to rely on God's uh, sovereignty, rely on his gospel to sustain our faith. He chuckled a little bit, somehow knowing exactly what I was going through. He told me that during sermon prep, we also are preaching to ourselves, and God has a funny way of imprinting the message on our hearts and on our souls through events leading up to preaching on that message. I'm like, all right, makes sense. I get it, God. And that was last week. So this week, I've been sicker than I've ever been. <laughs> On one of the days I wasn't sick, got to a school board meeting where I was told I was a tyrant that hates kids. <laughs> I've seen my selfishness grow and my thankfulness shrink even more out of my control. And for two days, I was too sick to pretty much do anything. Do I really believe the gospel will sustain my faith? Have you guys ever felt that way? How's your faith this morning?
Do you feel doubts creep in? Do you feel like they've set up camp in your heart? Do you feel tired of fighting? Could you use a little more faith? If you found that faith dial, would you click it a few times to the right? Do you believe the gospel will sustain you? Do you obey that belief? Paul shows us how to navigate this as well. In chapter 7 of Romans, he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The thing that will sustain me is not the health of my family. The thing that will sustain me is not my own health. The thing that will sustain me is not how righteous I'm feeling in the moment. All the good things that I can check off my list. It's like a few minutes ago that I read that it was the power of God and then I forgot. It's the power of God. It is not your own strength. God's the one that saved you and God's the one that sustains you. The gospel is how we are sustained. So this morning, if you're feeling like that, confess your sins and trust God. His gospel is the one that will sustain you. His gospel is how we are saved. His gospel is how we reap a harvest. His gospel is how the obedience of faith is brought about for all the nations. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Let's pray.